This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Young Turks, Dan Savage, The Progressive, Citizen Radio, The Media Matters Minute, The Tom Hartman Program, The Jimmy Dore Show, On the Media, and The David Pakman Show. And a note to everyone to please stay tuned at the end of the episode while I talk about something incredibly important to the podcasting community as a whole and what you can do to help. Gay conversion therapy is in the news again today, and the reason why is because one person who really believed in gay conversion therapy and preached about it is completely apologetic about the fact that he did so in the past. This guy is James Polk. He's an ex-gay leader. In fact, he used to work for Exodus International. Uh, and now he's coming out and saying, yeah, it was complete and utter BS, and I feel horrible for the number of lives I ruined as I was, uh, you know, in... in endorsing this type of gay conversion therapy. All right, let me be even clearer about it. He didn't just work at Exodus International. He was the former chairman of Exodus International. And he wrote a book, Love One Out, How God's Love Helped Two People Leave Homosexuality and Find Each Other and Then Go Back In to Homosexuality. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, his, he didn't his, mention that part. His sequel to that book was called Rub One Out, which is a little different. <laughs> <laughs> so now he said he was. Uh, everybody knew that he was. He had started out gay. Uh-huh. Okay, and his wife was a was a former lesbian. lesbian. They got married. Obviously, never had sex. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, and now he's back out as gay. Like, oops, sorry about all that stuff where I tried to fix everybody, fix them, and turn them straight. Nah, I was just lying. Uh, and his wife has filed for divorce. Yes. Uh, from you know. So she ever back because she's staying out with her partner. Is that a gay divorce? Is that are, they, are the conservatives going to allow it? I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. know. Ironic. So he did release a statement. He says the following: I no longer support the ex-gay movement or efforts to attempt to change individuals, especially teens who already feel insecure and alienated. I feel great sorrow over the pain that has uh, that has been caused when my words were misconstrued. Uh, he also says what? I have worked at giving generously to the gay community in Portland, where I work and live. I am working hard uh, to be authentic and genuine in all my relationships. Yeah. So look, it's so, it's it's great that he came out and said, "I'm sorry, my bad, and my mistake." Uh, and but at the same time, you know, there's so many people who are in that movement now, and they're all gay. Okay, they're not ex-gay. They're gay. Okay, you, you can't about, ex-gay. It's like here's an easy way to think about. It. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, that's a whole different, <laughs> different okay. reparative therapy. But yes. um, can you be ex-straight? I mean, think about it that well, way. Well, that's exactly what I was just thinking. Like, could there be a therapy that could make you like cock if you didn't? <laughs> like, if you didn't, if you didn't have a predilection? Of course not. It couldn't change you, right? Right. I, I, don't, I, I, don't, try. I don't think. I don't think. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, actually, it matches up with what a lot of conservatives say. Mm-hmm. Our professors, our teachers, our gay people, if they keep coming out and saying all this stuff, they're converting our children to gay. It's obvious. If you're raised by two gay parents, you're going to be gay. So they think... They think the opposite works the other way. Well, there was actually a story a few years ago of a, of a grandmother who sued to get custody of her granddaughter because her daughter, who had the baby, came out to be gay. She's like, I don't think someone gay should be raised. Like, you just raised her. You made her gay. and she. <laughs> so, yeah, well, if you get the granddaughter, right. isn't she more likely to be gay? Yes. Because you turned your last daughter gay. Yes. 
it's not how it works. Not how it works. Okay. Do you guys think the apology is enough? I mean, do you feel any bit of sympathy for him whatsoever? What could he do? No, I don't feel any sympathy for him, but what could he do to make yeah. up to those people for doing that? I mean, yeah, he I'm, did destroy a number of lives when you really think about it. There's no apology it, you know? that could ever help. I get it. There's nothing he can do at this point. The damage is done. But at the same time, you know, you read his apology, and I get that he feels remorseful. But all I could really do internally, you know, is, is think, I don't give a shit about your apology. You destroyed lives. You, you need to do more, whether it's going out there and mentoring gay you know, gay children or gay teens, letting them know what the reality is, telling them that they, that they shouldn't feel guilty about what they're doing. Maybe you become a leader in uh, pushing for legislation that, that bans uh, gay conversion therapy in other states. I know that California just recently banned it. Um, you know, that's real change that we can believe in. But in this case, right. you're just apologizing. I don't care about your apology. So that's a really interesting point, Anna. So. Uh, you know, and, and the reason, we're, if you've n never heard about conversion therapy, it's really, it messes with your mind in a big, big way. It tells you everything that you're feeling as a person is wrong, your identity is wrong, and that if you just concentrate enough and you work hard enough, you could be straight, you could be somebody else. And God, it just drives them crazy with insecurity. And, you know, how many kids have committed suicide overall? because they were worried about how they would be received because they're gay, et cetera. Right. Some forms of uh, gay conversion therapy use electroshock uh, therapy, but also think about what the entire point of gay conversion therapy is. It's to let these or to tell these people that they have some sort of mental illness, that they're strange, that they're weird, that they're perverted. And that God hates them yeah. in that way. But God could love them if they just stopped being themselves. Someone falls to pieces, sleeping In those first few weeks, Terry and I were able to watch every It Gets Better video as it came in. Um, we had to. We were the only people involved in the project at the time, and we had to watch and approve every video that was submitted. Because, um, you know, early on it was just me and Terry, and we saw every single one. But now there are 50, 75, 100,000 It Gets Better videos, and we haven't been able to watch every one. So it wasn't until last week um, when I got an email that I uh, clicked through and watched Timothy McCormick's it Gets Better video, which he titled It Gets Better 2.0. It was short, it's less than two minutes long, and it was really very sweet. Uh, an Eagle Scout college student, an EMT living in Indianapolis, Tim was reaching out to LGBT kids and telling them, you know, telling them that it gets better and to hang in there and offering his insight and support. A few of Tim's friends wrote me on Saturday night and uh, pointed me at his video because Tim had died that day, and they wanted me to see it, and they wanted me to give him a shout-out on the podcast, which I'm happy to do. Uh, Tim was uh, an EMT, an emergency medical technician, and he was driving an ambulance in downtown Indiana that was slammed into by another car, by another driver. 
the ambulance flipped on its side, Tim's ambulance, slid down the street, smashed into a parked car, and both Tim and the other EMT in the ambulance died. Tim died at the scene, and his colleague died the next day in the hospital. Both of them were wearing their seatbelts. Do you know how heavy an ambulance is? Do you know how hard you have to hit an ambulance to flip it on its side and send it down the street and kill two people inside it who were wearing their seatbelts? I don't want to dwell on the driver of the other car. Police officers smelled alcohol on her, and she claims she only had two drinks, and they were weak, and she only finished one of those drinks and only drank half of the other one. But they've taken blood. No charges have been filed yet. We'll see where that goes. Anyway, uh, I wanted to give Tim the shout-out that his friends asked me to, and here I am giving it. I also can't help talking about Tim's death in Indianapolis. Think about what was going on in Sullivan, Indiana, which is about 75 miles outside of Indianapolis. Um, haven't talked about it on the podcast, but I've been blogging about it a lot. Sullivan, Indiana's high school, Sullivan High School, was doing the right thing. There are gay kids at that school who are going to prom, who are bringing their same-sex dates, and they're going to participate in something called the March. And this suddenly became a controversy because the school heard from some bigoted anti-LGBT parents who didn't want gay kids participating in prom or being a part of the march. Um, and the school told them in schoolies, politely, to go fuck themselves. So they began to organize an alternate prom. And this story broke, and there was a news story that was a little bit muddled, where it wasn't clear whether the school was discriminating or there was an alternate prom being planned, but it was an alternate prom, and they were going to have a private prom that would exclude queer kids. Um, anyone who remembers Constance McMillan remembers that her school was forced to allow her and her female date to attend prom, so there was an alternate prom organized that the entire school went to, and there was no one at the alternate prom except a handful of students with Constance. Um, so alternate proms have been organized in the past with the connivance of schools, uh, but this isn't the case. It's not what's happening in Sullivan. There's a small group of anti-gay bigots who are organizing a private prom, and there was an interview. I'm going to cut to the chase. There was an interview, and a teacher was interviewed, Diana Medley. And she's not a teacher at Sullivan High School. She's a teacher at a neighboring school. And she was she indicated that she had gay students. She was a special ed teacher. And she was asked point blank by the reporter after she'd already said that she didn't believe anybody was actually gay and that gay people chose to be gay and that we don't have to be gay. She was asked if she believed that gay people, including her gay students, by implication, had a purpose in life. And she said her answer, and I quote, and verbatim, do gay people have a purpose in life? Do you believe that gay people have a person in life? Diana Medley, no, I don't. I couldn't help but think of Diana Medley when I was reading about Timothy McCormick's death. Here was a guy, an EMT, driving an ambulance. I think he had a purpose in life. He was serving the people of Indianapolis when he died. His purpose was saving lives. And he was gay. And here we have Diana Medley, special ed teacher in a public school who says she has LGBT students that she interacts with, saying that gay people have no purpose in life. It makes your blood boil. I was My blood was already boiling about Diana Medley when I sat and watched Timothy McCormick's It Gets Better video because the Diana Medley story was roaring along before Timothy McCormick 
was in that accident before his friend sent me an email, before I found my way to his It Gets Better video. And what did I see at his video? What did I see watching Timothy McCormick's It Gets Better video? I saw a better Christian than anybody I saw in the news reports from Sullivan, Indiana. Anybody at that meeting where they were organizing an anti-gay prom. Listen to what he had to say about people who bully, pick on, or marginalize queer kids. Listen to what he has to say. If anyone doubts you, prove them wrong. If anyone ridicules you, make them look bad, not you. Actually, no. Don't make them look bad. You're above that. You're worth more than stooping down to their level. You are better than hatred. The anti-gay haters in Sullivan, and not all the people of Sullivan are anti-gay. I think most of the people in Sullivan have roundly rejected this small group of people and their effort to create an event that excludes gay kids. But the anti-gay haters in Sullivan have a Facebook page called 2013 Sullivan Traditional Prom. And one of the organizers, you can find that on Facebook, one of the organizers of this hate group wants us all to know that, quote, this is not a hate group, close quote. The 2013 Sullivan Traditional Prom is just a group that has been organized, you know, with the sole purpose of creating an alternate prom that excludes gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender students. And to achieve that end, this group and its members are going on television and calling LGBT kids offensive, sick, sinful. And Diana Medley, Christian, is going on television and saying that gay, lesbian, bi, and trans kids have no purpose in life. How is that not hatred? You know, you get angry, and then you blow up, as I have done uh, last week or two on Slog about this. Then you watch Timothy's video, and you see him say, rise above it. You see him say to LGBT kids in Indiana who are being bullied, we're being picked on. Don't stoop to their level. Which reminds me just a bit of turn the other cheek. Which reminds me just a bit of do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If all you saw, let's say you didn't know anything about what's going on in Sullivan, you didn't know anything about Timothy McCormick's death, if all you saw were two clips and you saw this woman telling LGBT kids that they serve no purpose in life, they have no reason to be on this earth, and you saw Timothy McCormick telling LGBT kids that they're better than hatred, to rise above it, not to stoop to their level, who would you think was the better Christian? I think the answer is pretty obvious. There's a Facebook page for people who support an inclusive prom at Sullivan High School. The haters Facebook page, the Facebook page for people who want to create a, a prom that excludes LGBT kids, has 54 supporters. The Support the Sullivan High School Prom for All Students page on Facebook now has nearly 30,000 supporters. There are more good people out there than bad people. There are more Timothy McCormick's out there in the world than Diana Medley's out there in the world. And it's important, like Timothy told us, that we not stoop to their level. Tim died serving the people of Indiana. What a rebuke to people who look at queer people and see nothing but sex and nothing but sin. What a rebuke Timothy's death is. These people, people like Dana Medley, who cannot see the humanity, who cannot see the life and the love in the lives of queer people, cannot see our purpose. 
The best monument to Tim's life would be Dana Medley coming around, seeing the error of her ways, and asking for forgiveness from her students who are LGBT, those same students whose lives she described as worthless. You know, let's, let's leave Diana Medley behind. We are better than hatred. And you know what? She is too. And I hope that one day she sees that. How would you like to be able to read books and periodicals without the need for tree-killing paper, the actual ability to read, or having to pay a giant corporation for the pleasure? I sure would, but I don't think that exists. Two out of three ain't bad, though, because Audible, an Amazon company, is just such a giant corporation that can make these other wishes a reality. By signing up at audiblepodcast.com slash best, you'll receive a free audiobook of your choice, yours to keep even if you cancel within the 14-day free trial. That's audiblepodcast.com slash best to take something for nothing from a company who obviously didn't write the copy for this advertisement. I admire Jason Collins, the NBA senator who just came out. He's the first active player in major American sports to publicly say he's gay, which is astonishing in and of itself that it's taken this long. His poignant statement, which appears on the website of Sports Illustrated today, explains that he didn't set out to make history this way, but since no one else was stepping up to the plate, he decided to do so himself. He said the Boston Marathon bombings actually played a part in the timing of his decision because it made him realize that things can change in an instant, so why not live truthfully? I'd just like to read a little more from a statement because it's so eloquent. Here's what Collins said. No one wants to live in fear. I've always been scared of saying the wrong thing. I don't sleep well. I never have. But each time I tell another person, I feel stronger and sleep a little more soundly. It takes an enormous amount of energy to guard such a big secret. I've endured years of misery and gone to enormous lengths to live a lie. Now Jason Collins no longer has to endure the misery or live that lie. And no other athlete should have to either. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it. I'm living a lie. You're living it too. Because I live it with you. I'm living a lie. A lie I can't tell. So wait for a crowd enough. This is really cool news. Uh, the first NBA player, uh, the first openly gay player came out. Um, yes. His name is Jason Collins. He wrote a piece in Sports Illustrated that opens with, I'm a 34-year-old NBA center, I'm black, and I'm gay. Um, in 1998, he actually had a kind of quiet tribute, and he uh, changed his number uh to 98. Uh, yeah, honoring Matthew Shepard. Yeah, that has a he picked the number cuz it has a huge significance in the gay community. Um and I thought that was really moving to read about that. He has a really good op-ed that I'll link to in the episode recap in Sports Illustrated, but he said he chose that number because even though he wasn't out of the closet, he wanted to, you know, sort of do something symbolic for uh the LGBT community. Yeah. And I thought that was so moving cuz just picturing like how brave, you know, Jason is 
to come out in a really like heteronormative culture like the nba like a very like machismo culture first of all coming out at all is very brave but even when he was in the closet doing something really powerfully symbolic like that was extremely brave of him yeah so this one guy over at breitbart so we're getting a bunch of amazing reactions, obviously, from our... Let me guess. He said something really supportive and sweet right. about Jason. Well, it's so interesting because, like, all of my fighter friends on Facebook, who I don't talk about with politics, I, I just forget how much traction gay rights has gained in the last couple of years. So, like, right. all my fighter friends are like, this was so brave, this is amazing. And I'm like, all right, like, this is out of my political circle that, like, I follow on Twitter. So it's... It really is harder to, um, without sounding like a total bigot, like you can't, you can't just come out and say like being gay is against God anymore because the majority of people. Oh no, you can. Well, you can. (laughs) But what I'm saying is, and they'll invite you on CNN too. But a lot of Republicans are trying to be trickier about it. Is the point I'm trying to make? You know, and it's like because it's not uh, as accepted to say that shit anymore. So this one guy from Breitbart goes. he goes, since when did coming out of the closet make you a, quote, hero? What happened to the days of, no- when, like, Normandy? Like- oh, wait. I know this guy. So he also, somebody um put his tweets back to back. They took screenshots of them. And he went on this right-wing tea, par- tea party hacks radio show. Yeah. And he calls him a hero. <laughs> but then he doesn't think Jason's a hero for coming out in the NBA. So... That's where his priorities are. Yeah, so he says, uh, so Jason Collins is a hero because he's gay. Our standard for heroism has dropped quite a bit since Normandy. It's Ben Shapiro. And I tweeted So then he also made the argument that this isn't a big deal because Jason's not a very good basketball player. So I tweeted... What? I love the Normandy thing because I tweeted him and I was like, you were in Normandy? (laughs) Were you in Iraq? Afghan? Oh, no. Are you saying Normandy? Like Normandy Beach? Uh, Yes. Okay. Um, and I'm like, oh, you're just a fucking hateful blogger. And yeah, so then, uh, Adam Sure, uh, found a bunch of his, uh, on the phenomenal Mark Levin show to discuss yes. bullies. Mark is a hero. Then his next tweet, fact, Newt Gingrich is a hero <laughs> for speaking truth on Palestine. Uh, next tweet, with Senator Ted Cruz, Tea Party hero at Green Room at Hannity. Um, yeah, but I mean, it's like breaking ignorant people still think ignorant shit. Well, and then there's another guy who, again, is a right-wing guy and trying to uh, get traffic or whatever. He's an author named Jason Matera. And he goes, it's just so interesting how they're trying to frame it now. Tip for gay activists. Heterosexuals don't announce to the world that they're um, heterosexual. Yeah, like, that's because they're the majority. Yeah. And they don't have to fight for their rights. One of uh one of my Twitter followers wrote, I think every time they say they announce to the world that they banged a hot chick is announcing their <laughs> heterosexuality. Which I I love. love when they do shit like this though, because it just shows how completely antiquated they are. Yeah. And how they're rapidly being left behind. Because when we hear comments like that, it's like, Wow, you are a Fossil. Yeah. You're a joke. Uh, Ian Phillips just wrote on that line you just said, my favorite bigot line is he's a bad player, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, you make it to the NBA, fuckwad. Yeah, like the worst NBA player is still like such a good basketball player right. <laughs> and would totally kick your ass if you played against them. But it's like you do anything, anything besides sit on Twitter by yourself and like judge other people. Um, and you can't because you're a piece of shit. Boop, boop, boop. 
Right. So, um, yeah, we wanted to obviously give a huge, huge shout out to Jason Collins because this is going to happen more and more, but it can't happen at all until uh, the first person steps forward. Yeah, um, this is kind of another no shit LGBT issue, but I, I do think it's important. Big Gay Allen sent it to us. Uh, Salon wrote a piece, uh, conversion therapy advocate issues formal apology and renounces, uh, ex-gay past. So, um, he was for a big one. He was the former Exodus International Chairman in Conversion Therapy. Uh, he was their big success for, success story. His name was John Pollock. Um, he wrote a formal statement, uh, and an apology. Uh, in promoting focus on the family's ex-gay ministry. Um, so- Whenever I picture them, I always picture Paul Dano and There Will Be Blood, just like saying a bunch of shit up on the stage and like tongue, like quote unquote tongue, like just babbling. Like you always picture that or like in a day cool haze right now you're picturing that? No, like every time I think about the quote unquote conversion therapy, like that doesn't do anything. Yeah, I mean, it's really scary. Like, it's 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 fun to sort of... It's easy to make fun of, right? Because you see this guy, and you're like, oh, yeah, the gay guy. Um, and, you know, you're like, ha-ha, you are really gay. I knew it. Um, but in reality, it's like, I mean, this shit drives people to suicide. Yeah. I mean, when you are being told that everything you're doing is against God, and you just have to pray, then you don't think you're praying hard enough, and you think you're broken. I mean, especially for kids and teenagers, like, it's fucking horrible. But... So it's like, it's hard to like slow clap this guy, you know? I mean, he wrote two books. He has a ton of stuff out there. He went on new shows. I love slow clapping. I know. Um, but he really was their success story and it wasn't a success story. Yeah. He was gay. He's out of the closet. He wrote a very, uh, heartfelt apology letter for, you know, he was talking about the lives he ruined and he did. He ruined many lives and he has to live with that. Um, but it's good. You know, a, a lot of people wouldn't even come out of the closet. And they just kind of bask in shame. Right. Uh, and so it's it's at least good that this guy, hopefully, it'll reach to other people um, who are going to the conversion therapy and they'll be like, all right, so right. maybe it's not true. This is a Media Matters Minute. I'm Carlos Maza. NBA center Jason Collins became the first professional athlete in a major American sport to come out as gay. Professional athletes and elected officials publicly applauded Collins' courage, but some in the media resorted to mocking the player's announcement. Here's Rush Limbaugh. You want to say you're gay? Fine, but do we, does he have to be rammed in everybody's throat all the time? ESPN columnist Chris Broussard faced criticism for saying he would, quote, not characterize Collins as a Christian. Pat Robertson came to his defense. Don't tell somebody he can't speak specifically about what the Christian faith says about certain conduct. There isn't anything bigoted about that. That's what it says. So our hats off to somebody who's brave enough to say it. What's more, Fox News barely even covered the story, dedicating less than 10 minutes of coverage to Collins' announcement. This was significantly less time than CNN and MSNBC. This whole idea of, uh, of Jason Collins coming out and being trashed by the religious right. Um, actually, I guess I'm not going to stop talking about it. I'm going to talk about it for another minute or two. I just, I just think that the, that the, the whole homophobia industry is being driven by people who want us to be afraid. And, you know, whether it's afraid, I, it used to be, be afraid of black people. And, I mean, it still is in many quarters. 
or be afraid of, of Muslims or be afraid of gay people. And, you know, these are all levels of intolerance that I think are just fundamentally un-American, anti-American. And I think that we should be celebrating Jason Collins. And and I think that, you know, the comments to the effect that, you know, this that he's doing this because it's the end of his career and whatnot, this was the note that uh, Brian Fisher had sent us before we went on the air. Uh, I don't, I don't buy that stuff. It's going to be really interesting to see, you know, I mean, he's a free agent who, who picks him up next year. But this is, I think, a turning point. I think we're seeing some, a couple of really significant turning points right now, culturally, socially. I think that we're going to see, uh, I think, first of all, we're seeing the acceptance of the entire LGBT community, which, you know, includes transgendered people as well let us not forget they're very rarely discussed but you know a very important part of that community the acceptance of that and i think we're going to see and i realize the two have nothing to do with each other in at, at an obvious level but i think we're going to see the decriminalization of pot in the next five years and i think what's happening is that you know the liberals have always said you know let gay people get married and let people, you know, be themselves. And, you know, why do we have these stupid drug laws? But now you've got this generation of young people who call themselves conservatives but actually are calling themselves libertarians. They don't understand economics particularly well. If they did, they wouldn't call themselves libertarians or, or, or conservatives. Um, the, the billionaires have, have, you know, snookered them pretty well on the economics end of it. And the way that the billionaires are pulling these young people in is by saying, ah, you know, on the social issues, we're cool. Yeah, smoke pot. Gay people can have, get married, things like that. This program can only do what it does because of the members who support the show for as little as $5 a month. And as thanks for the support, members now get access to bonus content, including additional voicemails and clips that didn't fit in the big show, and additional stories and discussion topics for me. Plus, I've organized a full archive of the show, including a curated selection of my favorite past episodes, as well as a collection of my absolute favorite radio clips from all sorts of places. All that now available only to members. If you're already a member and want access to all this great content, draw me an email at j at bestoftheleft.com so I can get you set up. And if you're not yet a member, you can sign up now at the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Thanks so much for your support. So uh, we're going to we're gonna start off with Howard Kurtz, but Frank has a little break. We have breaking news. Frank, can you uh, what's the breaking news? Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's it's not exactly breaking news, but uh, it is to us. Howard, Kurtz, Howard Kurtz has been fired from the Daily Beast, um, all because of his... Uh, his tweet about um, the gay basketball player. Um, what, what's his name again? Jason Collins. Yes. He said that uh, he never said in his Sports Illustrated article that he was uh, that he had a girlfriend for eight years that he was engaged to, uh, except for the fact that he did say that. Yes. Yes, I saw that. Howard Kurtz. And, uh, Howard Kurtz was, was very uh, disparaging of him, and, and for, uh, for, for some reason... Uh, 
uh, he was just really nasty about him, but but he was very inaccurate, and and it and this one thing is has brought uh, Howard Kurtz down. So yes, he even wrote a column, Frank. I don't I don't know if it was a column, but maybe it was a blog. He wrote about um, Jason Collins, and he uh, he he comes clean, sort of, and he was kind of disparaging yeah. him because he was engaged to a woman, and he made a mm -hmm. big deal out of. It, but the woman just found out. You know, when the woman found out that he was that he was gay yesterday, like the rest of us, and I was like, Howard, easy. What's, what do you yeah, do? Yeah, I know. And like, so what? Like, it's a big deal. And also, like, he was acting like it's a revelation that a closeted gay man had a girlfriend. Right. You know, you know, I mean, there's, there are closeted gay men who have families and stuff. So there's nothing weird about that. It's, it, it's so it, it was just bizarre. And he made some video, Howard Kurtz did, with some other woman where he, like, talked about him, uh, Playing for both teams, you know, just just doing lame jokes from like a from a 1960 variety show or something, you know, oh. it's just kind of crazy. And, and it and but we shouldn't let it distract us from all the other terrible things. Things Howard. that because we're going to talk about a horrible thing that Howard Kurtz uh, did to, to Jenk Uger uh, last Sunday. He hosts a show <laughs> called Reliable Sources on CNN, right. and so there's been a well, lot of. He did. I don't think it's going to be. It might not be on this. Sunday or ever. It was on, but that, so I got so Howard Kurtz here. I'm reading from the Huffington Post. It says mysterious multi-platform media matcher Howard Kurtz has taken issue with the way the NBA player Jason Collins went about disclosing his coming out story. Collins says Kurtz left out one detail. That detail, per Kurtz, he was engaged to be married to a woman. Ah, yes. He said he left out the detail that he dated women and that he even got engaged. But that's not true. He actually did say it in the, uh, he said, when I was younger, I dated women. I even got engaged. I thought I needed to live a certain way. I thought I needed to marry a woman and raise with, raise kids with her. I kept telling myself the sky was red, but I always knew it was blue. So Howard Kurtz was upset that he didn't disclose that he dated women and got engaged, yet he did do that. It was corrected to Howard Kurtz that Jason Collins actually did state that he was engaged to someone that he dated women in the Sports Illustrated story. Then Kurtz changed his blog to read that Collins downplayed the detail instead of leaving it out. That's He said he downplayed it. So and then here's what here's Kurtz's tweet. He dated Carolyn Moose for eight long years, and when did she find out about his homosexuality? A few days ago. So Howard Kurtz is pissed off at Jason Collins for not. Uh, that is weird. Like anyone anyone was upset about like that. Like anyone cared about that. Isn't that the whole point of being in the closet that nobody knows you're gay? Yeah. That's the whole point. Here's here's some more quotes from Howard Kurtz. He goes, but Collins was hailed by the media and other public figures for having the courage to tell his story. He mentioned the engagement to Sports Illustrated, but didn't dwell on it. <laughs> this is Howard <laughs> Kurtz. Howard Kurtz is upset he didn't dwell on it. It was in print. They should have put it in bold. They, yeah. It's, Howard Kurtz is dwelling on it. He, yes. He goes on to say, I'm sure it wasn't easy becoming the first male athlete in a major sports league to come out as gay, but I have to assess a foul for the income complete nature of the disclosure. Did Collins think his longtime squeeze was just going to stay silent? What is he even talking about? I know. It's like he's like like one of the school moms from the Waltons or something, you know. He's just like so it's a weird uh, angle to latch on to, I think. But he used yeah. two basketball terms though. He <laughs> He did use And and yeah, he's making a whole I think and plus there's the element in it of like he's a media critic supposedly 
So he's criticizing the media yes. for making a big deal about this when nobody seems to be emphasizing or focusing on the fact that, oh, it's so brave, but he never told his girlfriend until a little while ago. <laughs> right. Right. So here's how he ends. Here's here's the end of his column. He goes, perhaps uh, Collins in his next interview, as he tries to get another basketball team to pick him up, Collins can tell us the rest of the story. <laughs> this is Howard Kurtz. This is the media watchdog, by the way, Howard Kurtz. And it yeah. says, so here's the update on that story. The Daily Beast has retracted that piece. Why does it seem like he's just a crotchety old man? He is, because he's a, because he, he is. is. But right? you know what? Here's the thing that's really outrageous is Howard Kurtz, um, got fired from the Daily Beast this afternoon, but he didn't tell his girlfriend about it. <laughs> 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 and he didn't disclose that in his tweet either. Which yeah. I just find she outrageous. just found out. Most notably, the coming out of Washington Wizards center Jason Collins in the pages of Sports Illustrated, the first male player to come out while actively playing on a major league team. Some have worried about professional blowback, but in the coverage so far, it seems like a slam dunk, drawing cheers from fellow players. The conversations that are going on in our locker rooms and, and all over the country, I think it's a beautiful thing. Coaches. I respect his decision, but quite frankly, I'm just focusing on game four. And even a particularly prominent amateur. It's, it seems like a terrific young man, and yeah, I told him I couldn't be prouder of ESPN reporter Kevin Arnovitz, who also happens to be gay, says the story is only beginning. The announcement is the easy part. The really hard work is going to be sharing a locker room with guys who may be at various levels of discomfort. Teammates getting tired that every time they go into a road city, it's, hey, look, Jason Collins is in town. Let's ask all his teammates. What's it been like having the first openly gay teammate? It's certainly generated a lot of tolerance-sounding conversation from sports people, but also it seems fear on the part of the less tolerant that they won't be tolerated. On ESPN, commentator Chris Broussard said that living openly in unrepentant sin, and that includes living gay, is walking in open rebellion to God and Jesus. There are a lot of Christians in the NBA, and they don't want to be, just because they disagree with that lifestyle, they don't want to be viewed and called bigoted and intolerant. And L.Z. Granderson, who's an openly gay columnist for ESPN, acknowledged that cries of homophobia may inhibit conversation. I'm not one that wants to stranglehold a respectable conversation because someone disagrees with me. The sports news and gossip blog Deadspin said that ESPN had reduced the story to a piece of sellable controversy lying equidistant between two claims. Chris Broussard, arguing the bigot's perspective, said Deadspin, 
L.G. Granderson arguing the other side. I'm just wondering whether or not you agree with Deadspin that in creating two poles, you create a false equality between a position of tolerance and a position of intolerance. I don't think that's what happened, Brooke. I, I think what happened is this. Chris Broussard is one of our leading NBA insiders. Probably has more numbers on his phone, more insight into the minds of players, coaches, etc. than you know, almost anybody in our organization. He happens to also be a very observant guy in terms of uh, biblical literalism uh, or what have you. But he wasn't brought on there for his positions. He was brought on there because you know, when you want to find out you know, what are players thinking about, what coaches are thinking about, you go to those who are well-sourced. If one of them happens to have a very particular religious posture, that comes with the package. It's not always convenient. But that's what conversation's about. And I think Elsie would agree with that and essentially did. Are there any voices that we haven't yet heard from that you're waiting for? Yeah. And I don't know that we're going to. There are a lot of young basketball players in the league who are not going to be comfortable right off. I think these are also young guys who've grown up with Twitter, have seen the effects of social media, and know best to keep their mouth shut. Now, you might have certain people say, well, that's political correctness speaking. No, I think it's an understanding that their discomfort is not necessarily the majority view, and they know better than to generate distractions, generate heat, and most of them don't want to have to face down a media core. This is fundamentally a workplace issue. One of the tasks is going to be for the teams to help guys reconcile a religious belief system with the workplace environment that needs to exist for everyone to be able to flourish, including people like Jason Collins. I think it's interesting how the historic part of this, the first working male, major league athlete, etc., has become less prominent in the coverage than Jason's own story and his talent currently as an athlete. I mean, he's on the older side. His stats haven't been particularly good in uh, recent years. Some have even waggishly suggested that, you know, this might contribute to his getting another contract. <laughs> and by the way, it might contribute to his getting another contract. You know, I, I talked to one executive who said, listen, basketball is about winning ball games, and you want to assemble a roster of people who are going to help you win ball games. But when you start filling out a roster... You want character guys, they're called, in the league. And I think there are going to be teams that do want a Jason Collins around. This has been a parlor game for NBA reporters the last few days. Had someone asked you a week ago to approximate the chances that Jason Collins would be on an opening night NBA roster this upcoming fall, I think a lot of us would have said 50-60%. I do think there are enough owners in the NBA that value him not only being nearly seven feet tall and being able to check some of the more imposing centers in the league, but that value that and frankly might value the story too. Think about it in terms of the media context. If you're his next team, it's certainly an opportunity for an organization to really kind of fly the flag of progress. Like the Dodgers. And I think history has treated the Dodgers very well. You could be that team. Kevin, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Kevin Arnovitz covers the NBA for ESPN. When the Dodgers were in Brooklyn and the air was clean And Marilyn Monroe was breaking hearts on silver screens Okay, what what do you think is the best thing, the thing about the show that is best and most appealing to, to somebody who listens or watches? Because we cover everything and we do it well. <laughs> Why do you think people watch the show? 
I think that it's a completely different angle. I don't think it's about being expansive or up to date. I think it's 99% of media that's out there is giving one story, it's giving a particular point of view, and it's also not covering certain stories. So I don't know that it's about being up to date or expansive. I think it's it's a well, non. That's what I said. We cover everything. Well, we don't cover everything, Lewis. How can we cover everything? We cover eight to ten stories. Everything important, pretty much. Well, if that doesn't make you curious, I don't know what will. Check out the David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. Wish that we could go back to those innocent times again. Marriage equality has passed the Delaware House by a 23 to 18 vote. 21, wo- 21 votes were needed for passage. Five Democrats broke ranks. The bill heads to the state Senate. Now, the governor there, Jack Markell, has expressed support for the bill. He told the Huffington Post back in uh, the middle of the month that he is behind advocates' efforts in favor of marriage equality. Now, in addition to this, the Rhode Island Senate approved legislation on Wednesday to establish full marriage equality for same-sex couples with a 26 to 12 vote. That bill is going to go back to the House for a procedural vote to accept the Senate's version. Then it has to be signed into law by the governor. And the governor, Lincoln Chafee, has expressed support for marriage equality legislation. This is big on a couple of levels, Lewis. Number one, two more states accelerating rate of marriage equality legalization. That's big, that's good, and that's important. Right. Number two, New England will be complete. We will have an entire region of the country where, regardless of whether you were born gay, straight, lesbian, bisexual, whatever, you're respected like everyone else, at least when it comes to legally in terms of who you can marry. And that's a big deal to say, you know what, Lewis, we have this whole section of the country where it's it's uh, it's it's almost like its own country in some senses. And it's something people have alluded to for a long time. It's kind of like we have a couple of countries in the U.S. as it is. And really now on a map, you are starting to see, as we see on a lot of issues, sections being colored in. And and I think that this is important. Red and blue, right? In some sense, right? Yeah. I mean, Natan, what do you think the significance is now of saying New England is has legalized marriage equality? It's huge because before, when you had just Massachusetts after 2004, people could just say, "Well, it's just it was done by judicial activism, and it's just you know a crazy liberal state." But then you had a few more states. This last election cycle, you had the first time where, via public referendum, uh, states legalized gay marriage. So now you have an entire region where you can't just single out one state. You have New Hampshire, a libertarian-type state. You have Rhode Island, a Catholic, sort of slightly uh, religious state uh, or more religious. You have the whole gamut within New England, and now a whole region of the country has it. So it's kind of you know, unstoppable at this point that it's going to spread everywhere. Yeah, to quote Joe Biden, this is a big effing deal. It sends a message. I mean, how that message is interpreted is uh, <laughs> That's a another story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so as of April of 2013, according to Freedom to Marry, Nine states have passed laws legalizing same-sex marriage. Connecticut, Iowa, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, New York, Washington, and Vermont. And like I mentioned, we are uh, very close to adding Rhode Island and Delaware. And, of course, there is also Washington, D.C. So we're going to keep an eye on that, and we will see uh, how quickly this continues to happen. It's the same hate that's caused wars from religion, gender to skin color, the complexion of your pigment, the same bite that led people to walkouts and sit-ins. It's human rights for everybody. There is no difference. Live on and be yourself. When I was at church, they taught me something else. 
If you preach hate at the service, those words aren't anointed. That holy water that you soak in has been poisoned. When everyone else is more comfortable remaining voiceless rather than fighting for humans that have had their rights stolen. I might not be the same, but that's not important. No freedom till we're equal. Damn right I support it. The pace of change right now on marriage equality is staggering. Rhode Island and Delaware both got marriage equality in the last couple of weeks. Minnesota, if marriage equality comes to Minnesota this week, will be the 12th state to achieve marriage equality in the United States and the third since the Supreme Court heard oral arguments on the Defense of Marriage Act, the Federal Defense of Marriage Act, and California's Proposition 8. The pace of change is staggering. And heartening and thrilling so little is going right right this is going very right and it is a little flabbergasting i remember saying to someone not too long ago that i didn't expect to see marriage equality in the united states in my lifetime i found it in an op-ed i wrote for the new york times that i was looking up to find something else and there it was me saying not too long ago that this would not happen in my lifetime and it is happening in my lifetime and what is driving this? What is making this happen? The very thing that the original gay, lesbian, bi, trans, civil rights activist identified as our secret weapon and the thing that would, would change everything, which is just people are fucking out now. People are out to their friends and families and coworkers and colleagues, and that changes everything. In Delaware, State Senator Karen Peterson, who has been in a lesbian relationship with a woman, Duh. For 24 years, was not out. She came out during the floor debate in the Senate. She said she wasn't sure what she was going to do. She's a very private person. Okay, your relationship is actually kind of public. Nobody says <laughs> straight people should have to hide their husbands and wives to keep their relationship, keep their private lives private. But 24 years, she's been with this woman. She's out to her friends and family. People know, but she wasn't publicly out. She wasn't politically out. And she said that before the floor debate, she wasn't sure if she would come out during the floor debate. She was going to listen to what the opposition had to say and make up her mind. And the opposition stood on the floor of the Delaware State Senate and lied and said that being gay was a choice, being lesbian was a choice, that, that it was a sickness, that it was sinful, and that gay relationships, same-sex relationships, same-sex marriage, somehow imperiled or threatened the relationships of opposite-sex couples and straight couples. Here's what Delaware State Senator Karen Peterson said as she came out last week. We are what God made us. We do not need to be fixed. We are not broken. And I love this. If my happiness somehow demeans or diminishes your marriage, then you need to work on your marriage. Right fucking on and welcome out, fully out, the rest of the way out, to State Senator Karen Peterson. In Nevada, where they're debating repealing that state's ban on same-sex marriage, Okay, let's just pause for a second there. Nevada, Las Vegas, where you can get insta-married and insta-divorce, where prostitution is legal, somehow same-sex marriage is illegal because it's a threat to the sanctity of quickie marriages in roadside wedding chapels performed by busted Elvis impersonators. But anyway, they're debating repealing the ban on same-sex marriage in Nevada, and State Senator Kelvin Atkinson came out during a debate over repealing that state's ban and said, I am black and I am gay. And this was news to his colleagues and his constituents. And it is going to change things. 
After the governor signed the marriage equality bill last week in Rhode Island, here's what State Senator Donna Nesselbush had to say. She thanked all those who came out before it was safe to do so. Together, she said, we shattered the myths, we changed hearts and minds on this issue one at a time. That is it. In a nutshell, that is the success of the LGBT civil rights movement. We still got work to do. We got ENDA to pass. We've got DADT to finish. The repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell was incomplete. It didn't cover trans people. Trans people can serve openly in the military in Canada and Israel and the United Kingdom, not in the United States. We got work to do all over the place, but we are winning. And we are winning on the issue that touches on the heart of who we are, which is about love. It's about love. It's about relationships. It's about family and recognizing that we can love, that our relationships are equal to and as valid as the relationships of heterosexuals, and that our families deserve the same rights and protections and responsibilities, this cuts to the heart of what our movement has been about from the start. Sorry if I'm ranting a little bit. I'm just, I'm really excited. And as I speak to you, I am watching with one eye the debate via live stream in the Minnesota State Senate. Here's, you know, one of the ironies about Minnesota, really quickly. A couple of years ago, when the Republicans controlled the Minnesota legislature, they pushed an anti-gay marriage amendment to Minnesota's state constitution onto the ballot. And they put it on the ballot in 2012, hoping to drive turnout. You know, the same batshit haters who poured into voting booths in 2004 and approved anti-gay marriage amendments in states all over the country, which helped re-elect George W. Bush. This was their strategy. They were going to do it again. And you know what happened? Voters in Minnesota rejected that amendment and something partially as a result of the amendment appearing on the ballot democrats took back control of both houses of the legislature democrat in the governor's mansion here's the fruit of your hateful labor minnesota anti-gay haters marriage equality being the first state in the midwest to approve it through the legislature iowa's got it but iowa got it from the supreme court ruling in the state of iowa minnesota's going to be the first to get it through the legislature first to get it to the democratic process. Congratulations, haters. Turning to the Gall file for just a second, State Representative Peggy Scott, Republican of Andover, Minnesota, said this after marriage equality passed Minnesota House. My heart breaks for Minnesota, she said, crying on the floor of the House, in the State House in Minnesota. This is a divisive issue that divides our state. It's not what we need to be doing at this time. Where were the tears, Representative Scott? When you guys, when the Republicans and the anti-gay, quote-unquote, family values haters were pushing gay marriage onto the ballot and attempting to divide the state, it was a fine issue for you. You loved gay marriage when it divided the state in your favor. Now it seems to be dividing. The math seems to be working out. The division, the long division, working out in our favor. And suddenly, boodly hoodly hoo tears running down your face. Representative Scott's heart breaks for Minnesota, she says. You know who my heart breaks for? My heart breaks for the lesbian widow who's thrown out of her own partner's wedding. My heart breaks for the gay widow who loses the house that he shared with his partner for 40 years because an estranged cousin, thrice removed, shows up and has legal claim to it because their relationship isn't recognized under the law. You know, when we talk about same-sex marriage, we get bogged down in these conversations about banquet halls and Bakers making cakes and florists. We get taught, we caught up in these conversations about the rites and, you know, the, the ceremony, the party. And that's not where the rubber meets the road. That's not really when it comes to same sex marriage where gay or lesbian couples' hearts are broken. 
It's when they are discriminated against, and the powers and rights of marriage are almost always most important at the worst moments of life, during a medical emergency, after the death of a spouse. That's when the rights, the most important ones, really kick in. And that's when the most damage is done to same-sex couples. It's not the florist who won't make arrangements for a gay wedding who really hurts a same-sex couple when they're vulnerable. It's a hospital administrator turning the partner away. As we saw recently in one case, having the male spouse of a gay man removed from his partner's room in handcuffs during a medical emergency. That's when hearts break, Representative Scott. Brian here in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, calling about the uh, voicemail messages and the, the very long discussion you had about the comparing gun registry to uh, cameras being in our society. I think one important factor that the, the caller that tried to uh, make the correlation between the two being similar is uh, the freedom of choice that you have there that is existent with one and non-existent with the other. You have a choice whether or not you want to buy a gun. You have a choice whether or not you want to own that firearm and be put on a, on a gun registry list if the government was to start one up or make it a law that you had to register your gun. You, you have a choice. Don't, you don't want to be on the list? Don't buy a gun. But to, 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 to think that they're the same as security cameras is, is apples to oranges, in my opinion. You don't have a choice uh, not to leave your home. You have to leave your home at some point in time. You have to go to the grocery store. You have to go to the gas station. You have to go to the hospital. You have to leave your home. No one lives in their home their entire lives, at least not most people. And, and by having cameras, your choice and your freedom of privacy is being completely invaded by the government. The government is monitoring it. We're going to add biological uh, readers and sensors to all these cameras to start monitoring and tracking everyone's movements and uh, we already know they're collecting text messages and phone calls and emails and stockpiling this in large databases that these, uh, these uh, Department of Homeland Security uh, task centers or whatever. What's, what's next? They're going to start saving all the video footage? Again, you don't have a choice. Your, your privacy is being invaded against your will. Um, and guns, you, you still have a choice. It's, it's pretty simple in my book. Uh, I love the show. Uh, thanks for everything you do. And uh, look forward to the next episode. Take care. Bye. Hi, Jay. This is Vicki from Oregon. I just wanted to comment on the discussion about um, the conspiracy of cameras. I think it's not quite, I, I agree with you that it's not really a, a conspiracy, but I don't think it's innocent. I think that what happens is that when there is a problem, there are people ready to exploit that problem and make money off of it. And of course, the camera, the security companies are doing very, very well right now. We have seen this in the sustainable agriculture movement 
where there's a food safety issue. And what happens is the public outcry for food safety is is huge. And so what the uh, big companies do is get together with their legislators and they try to create regulations that make it very, very difficult for smaller scale people. And, you know, they, they can just write a, the regs off as a cost of doing business. And I've seen this over and over again. So people, you know, the general public is satisfied and, you know, the Congress people get to do their grandstanding and, and everything comes out okay except the competition is squashed somewhat. So, again, I think with the camera companies, there's not so much uh, a motive of squashing competition as just to build their own businesses. Just a thought. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make this show possible, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. So today I have something particularly obnoxious to tell you about. It's not particularly political. It doesn't uh, particularly pertain to this podcast any more than any other podcast, but it's about the podcasting community as a whole. So there's bad news for and then good news and uh, you know and then sort of an uplifting perspective on the whole idea so the bad news is there are such things uh, entities or individuals known as patent trolls uh, continuing the bad news the there is a patent troll currently essentially you know outright waging war on the podcasting community as a whole so the, you know basically you know the patent system in America is is really messed up and that's a whole other story. There are a lot of patents which are very legitimate and that, you know, those patents should be protected and there are good reasons for that. And then there are things, entities or individuals called patent trolls who have patents that very oftentimes are, are worded so broadly that they could, you know, apply to almost anything. They, they could be argued in court that they apply to, you know, almost anything they want. And so right now, as I said, the podcasting community is under attack by a patent troll who claims to own the technology for podcasting in general. They own the concept of podcasting. And they say that back in 1996, they patented the concept of transferring media files through the internet in an episodic way so that, you know, new episodes are, are you know, auto, you know, the individual is notified automatically when new episodes are produced. So, you know, it sounds a lot like a podcast. I mean, podcasts weren't invented for another 10 years, but they just own this concept, this really broadly worded concept, which is not something, you know, I don't think should be able to be owned. It's too broad. It's not an invention. It's, it's too obvious to be an invention. So, a patent holder like this, they then have the right to go and sue anyone who's using their patent without their permission or, you know, licensing agreement or something like that. And so, you know, you might imagine this patent uh, holder might go and sue big companies that do podcasting, you know, like hosting companies or, you know, people like that. Um, but now what they've done, which I think is just disgusting and reprehensible, is that they've actually started going after end users, meaning people like me who make podcasts 
uh, you know, we didn't invent podcasting. We don't claim to. It's, you know, it's, it's a tool that's out there, but we have nothing to do with this, the whole world of inventing the technology and, and using it. But people like me and, and actually Sam Cedar of the Majority Report, who you regularly hear on the show, actually has received a letter from this patent troll, uh, you know, asking for licensing fees, you know, an agreement to extort money out of him for the use of podcasting technology, basically. And so, you know, and then more famously than that, they've also gone after Adam Carolla's podcast because it's, I think, maybe the most popular podcast in the world. I've never listened to it, you know, but it's obviously big and popular and makes money so that they can actually, uh, you know, they can probably go to court against them. So that's the idea. They're, they're taking Adam Carolla to court to try to scare everyone else into line. So this is all the bad news where we're, you know, podcasting as a community, not just progressive politics, the entire podcasting community is under attack by a patent troll who's trying to, you know, shake down everyone who produces a podcast, knowing full well that most podcasters don't have the sort of money to pay licensing fees like this. So the good news is that someone has come to the rescue. Uh, the Electronic Frontier Foundation is they're they're built to advocate on policies like this. And I, I didn't just hear about these guys. They've been around for a long time. I've heard people singing their praises for years and years now. They're always on the right side of issues like net neutrality and CISPA and those sorts of bills that, you know, electronic frontier issues, <laughs> as you might imagine. So they have launched a new campaign right now and they're asking for help. And, and the really good news is that the podcasting community, the, the you know, producers and listeners together, were born and bred to fight battles like this. This is exactly the sort of fight that we are capable of, of uh, you know, of fighting. So EFF, they're doing two things. One, they're they're going to go to trial and actually try to delegitimize their patent by proving that it's an obvious concept that. Uh, you know, they obviously didn't invent the concept of podcasting, so they need they need help in two different ways. One, filing those sorts of forms costs a lot of money, so they are trying to raise thirty thousand dollars, which is no problem at all because it's remember it's not just me, it's not just you know my friends in the progressive podcasting sphere, it's the entire podcasting community. As a whole, everyone is going to be on the same side about this. So everyone chips in, you know, everyone from every audience of every show that's out there chips in a couple bucks. We'll be at $30,000, no problem. Secondly, uh, they're, they're looking for help in the actual litigation issue. So the thing that can help the most in delegitimizing this, you know, absurd patent claim that they have is uh, is what's called finding prior art. Just, it's basically evidence that the concept existed before this company claims to have invented it. So they claim to have invented it uh, and got their patent on October 2nd, 1996. And so what we need is any sort of evidence of any kind dated before October 2nd, 1996, showing this concept that, that someone had thought of it written, you know, a post about it anywhere on the internet, written magazine articles, anything like that to show that this idea existed before this company claims to have invented it. So between, you know, donating a couple of bucks and if you have 
any thoughts, ideas, where you might search for prior art like that, uh, that's exactly the kind of help we need. So I'm definitely going to donate to this myself, uh, and I will be putting the link to the EFF page uh, specifically dedicated to this campaign. Uh, it's titled Help Save Podcasting, dated May 30th, 2013. And all the details of what they're up to and how you can help are on that page. So please check that out. It's in the show notes of this episode, either right on the device you're holding or in the show notes on the blog. So I know that's a lot of details, a lot going on, a lot of information I just gave. But I, I think it's really promising. You know, Everyone looking at this issue knows the patent troll doesn't really have a leg to stand on. But they're just doing that thing where they make everyone else's lives miserable by taking people to court or threatening to take you to court, knowing that no one wants to go to court, no one has the money to go to court. And so the only way we can fight this is as a community rather than on an individual level. And that is what podcasting is best at. The the audiences of podcasts are the most dedicated, most amazing group of people uh, you know I've ever come across. And, and this is exactly the kind of thing that I know that the whole community will get behind. So be a part of that. Find the link in the show notes. Uh, check it out for yourself and do what you can to help. That's going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks especially to those who actually support this show by becoming a member, making donations to the show to support uh, you know every episode that goes out. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and by spreading the word of individual clips you particularly like through your social networks. All that can be done through the show notes. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Apart a picture that wasn't right Bitch burning on a shining sheet The only maker that you want to meet A dying man in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor Who'll take you out in the open door This is not my life It's just a fond farewell to a friend